Welcome to Tools in a Shed, a podcast powered by Cars Guide, ready to rip into car stuff that has caught our eye this week. I'm James, and with me is Crafty. Hey. And Richard. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> this week, we're looking at a potentially game changing baby use from Ford. We'll also discuss some of the fresh metal residing in the Cars Guide garage this week. And speaking of uh, babies, we'll catch up with 2020's new father of the year in this week's Muskwatch. So stay with us. But first of all, some feedback from our last episode in which we talked about the 2021 Hilux. So a major upgrade update of the best-selling car in Australia anyway. And Mark Richards uh, had a comment. Now, not the famous Novocastrian and, you know, four-time <laughs> okay. world surfing champion. Yeah. Although it might be. He might need a new rig, you know. Did you, you know, know Mark Richards? Mark Richards taught me to surf. Oh, really? Right. right. Okay, yeah. fantastic. Not the surfer, but the, the guy who, who, <laughs> oh, who's written in. That guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he said any info or an update when the updated Toyota engine will be put in the Prado. And that was amazing timing because we actually ran a story yesterday that specifically, sadly, ruled that out. For Australia, yeah. Uh, th- yeah. th- that it's not happening. Um, no, so that 2.8 litre turbo diesel that'll produce, we're um, theorising, 150 kilowatts, 470 newton metres will be a Hilux only proposition. So mm. not for the Prado MR, and um, keep those wings, keep those wings flapping on the bottom turn when you when you're on the <laughs> at, at, at pipeline. Also, also, uh, can I just add to that as well? It's very unlikely that we're going to see it in Hilux before Land Cruiser, aren't we? It'll, uh, they'll, they'll debut it in Land Cruiser for sure. Who knows? Don't mm. know. Mm. Um, now, TGV, the very fast train, has Toyota fixed the fifth injector lockup for the DPF? So there, obviously Toyota had some problems with the diesel particulate filter. Um, he says um, he says a manual regen is not a fix, um, you know, which would continue. He's not happy with that. Also, they fixed the very poor torque converter auto, which is useless when towing, and downshifts at the slightest incline, and the air induction filter system. Yet, yeah. you know, so they, apparently there were some dust intrusion issues around uh, all of that. Or are they hoping for a midlife facelift to continue to stay at number one? Not a fan of his words, not mine. This awful junk. Wow. So he's not he's not a happy camper when it comes to the Hilux. But I know that's been an ongoing saga for Toyota, but at least by ventilating that TGV, hopefully you're feeling better. Um, <laughs> now, he, but he had another go, and he was oh. pondering the, the van versus ute. We were talking about van yes. use, which is yeah. the best proposition. Mm. Yep. He says, well, how about the classic mm. panel van? You know, oh. Ford, Ford Falcon panel van, the Holden panel van. And whenever I think of those cars, I go straight to the 1970s or 80s with the big murals on the side, oh, yeah. customised. Yep. You've yep. got your Holden Sandman, you had your Ford Sundowner, and you yeah. actually had your Chrysler Valiant Drifter. That's right. They yep. all got on, yep. the, on the same bandwagon. And yeah. panel vans were the beginning, really, of the formalised custom car. I don't, think it's, I don't think it's bandwagon. I think it's van wagon. Van wagon. They got on the van wagon uh, <laughs> together. And, in fact, the, the very popular street machine magazine in Australia started out as van wheels. That's right. um, and and kind of morphed into street machine because mm-hmm. panel vans did the same thing. They were the custom cars, and then they they kind of went out of favour, and on it went. So look, I'm all for that. Bring back the panel van. Pity we don't make cars in Australia anymore. Um, so <laughs> if someone out there um, in the worldwide car universe could make a panel van, yeah, I'd be all for it. Yeah, you named uh, you know you named the big mobs, and you know like Ford and Holden. But for a sure. short period of time in Bundaberg in Queensland. <clears throat> Uh, there was an independent, uh, uh, you know, sort of custom fit-out mob that did um, uh, that did the the panel vans, uh, mm. shag and wagon. They didn't last yes. for too long. Yes, because um, the name was somewhat controversial. But despite uh, despite your purchases, Crafty, I know you had several in a row. Oh no, I bought the whole fleet. Yeah, so you did. <laughs> What you've got to be careful of, though, is if you're chasing one and you get your chain out and you swing it round and it yeah. hooks onto yeah, the like, um, roof racks, you're likely yeah, to lose, yeah. your, lose your hand. Love that. Love that. Love that. In fact, that was, I think, an HZ panel van with what looked like a WB front on it. 
Yeah. Well, anyway, we're referring to that. People that aren't really good, the, uh, the train of thought. <laughs> Max, what a classic. We should have we should have a podcast just about classic. About Nasdaq. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, that, okay, that's a good idea. We'll take that on board. Now, De Cook, Richard, De Cook, oh, your mate Cook says, De Cook, he says, when I heard John Schroeder's comment about Nissan being reduced to boring SUVs being re-engineered to become what he thinks are actually quite nice-looking uh, Renault SUVs, I had a stroke of genius. Also fueled by your thoughts about right engine in right chassis, etc. why not take the Alpine, Alpine 110 chassis, and use it to launch a new Sylvia, um, which is an interesting idea. But Luke yes. Holmes chimed in straight away and said, yeah, I thought that too. Problem is the A110 is mid-engine. So unless you find a way to put the tray on the other side of the engine and then the cab in the front, you've got something like whatever that front cab over Ford thing was in the US that was just oh, yeah, the yeah. economy you know type I'm, thing. Yeah, yeah that thing, kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, that, that's what you'd probably be looking mm. at. So thank mm. you to Cook, but mm. uh, not really a goer. Then we got onto the whole 90s comeback thing because we were talking about the new Nissan Z car in previous episodes. And Neza says, I'm not sure about the 90s style of car design coming back so soon. It's yeah. probably too fresh in our minds. Yeah. He says, you know, den denim outfits. And I immediately went to Jay Leno and the, the double denim. You know, he's a, he's a fiend for the double denim. Yeah. Um, it seems cultural trends, clothes, media, TV shows, etc., are all pointed these days to the 80s. Yeah. Um, there are kids in the States buying C3 Corvettes and customising to look period correct. I do hope this means the comeback of the Golf GTI convertible. Ha, ha, ha. But more importantly, <laughs> the colours and futuristic interior styles. Now, he, he put a few names up. I did a bit of digging and found the cars and interiors that he was talking about. So he calls out the Renault 25, and you think about asymmetric steering wheel bosses and very angular kind of uh, things like yeah. that. Renault mm. 25. The Lamborghini Athon concept, which actually had a display, like a dash display, that you would swear was a current Mercedes-Benz. You know, it's just this long screen. Um, it looks exactly the same. He's dead right. The VW Orbit concept, which was just this hilarious little open roadster for four people. And, you know, VW um, uh, never put that into production. The Nissan QX concept, which was a luxury car, and it's, he says it's pretty much every car now looks like the yeah. QX, which was 1985, <laughs> um, and the Peugeot Quasar, which he equates Ooh. to the 2020 Audi um, A7. So he thinks that's all coming around. He actually put a link in the comments on YouTube to a video, a little bit of which we'll have playing behind us for people on YouTube, of a C4 Corvette madly kind of stanced and doing the kind of around town cruise at night. But that C4 Corvette had that dashboard, the one that just lit up, had all of those digital instruments yeah. and the cumulative strip speedometer and, and rev counter and all of that stuff. So he's thinking that we now have the technology to make those things more reliable and we should, if we're going to go to the 80s, maybe look at those and make them work properly oh, uh, in geez. 2020. Oh, geez. Look, as long as they don't... Look, I've got a story, which is for another time, but basically I stole a C4 Corvette when it was parked oh, wow. out in front of my house. My dad was having a party and all his mates had these pretty hot cars and I just grabbed the keys once and just drove it drove it around, you know, town. Right. And it was yes. amazing. It was amazing. Um, yeah. And they all knew because I, I arrived back in it. But yeah. as long as they don't bring a 90s, 90s Mustang back, I'll be yes. happy because they were hideous. Uh -huh. Hideous. Well, when I do you... remember driving the uh, C4 ZR1, so the original king of the hill, 48-valve, yeah. quad cam, Lotus-built or designed V8, mm. and mm. that dashboard, aside from the silly <laughs> performance that thing had, that dashboard yeah. was incredible. Yeah. It lit up like the proverbial <laughs> Christmas tree. Sorry, Crafty, I think you were going to say something? All of, all of that is well and good, and it's lovely for you blokes to take a stroll down your posho uh, memory lane. <laughs> Richard, when you, when you got the keys, mate, was there a bowl full of keys? Was it, was it one of your dad's? It was, like, it was, it was, a, business, it was, it was a business meeting of, of, yeah. of, of the oh, various yeah. um, directors right. of the company, and uh, right. there was a range of cars parked in the driveway, and um, I was told mommy, if I wanted mommy, to. Why, take... why is Daddy with that lady? <laughs> <laughs> I've been to a complete uh, dad's business meetings, mate, and I end up That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here you go, kid. Take the keys. Make yourself scarce. <laughs> That's right. Well, Luke Holmes came back to, to uh, build on uh, Nez's comment and said, 
He wants to back him up, sees the Hyundai venue go, reminds him of the Nissan Prairie. Wow. Um, so the Prairie was a little upright oh, kind of yeah. one, one and a half box people mover. Yeah. The gorgeous, he says, the gorgeous tiny geometric wheels, the boxy upright shape and the grid front grille are all the same. You could drive one straight into Radwood and Radwood is a, a kind of 80s focused um, car show circuit in the States and no one would notice that it was 30 years too young. So he sees it very much as an, an 80s car anyway. Wow. Yep, that and the Nimbus as well, the original oh, people moving. Yeah. <laughs> that's a quick, that's, you're absolutely right. That is a quick, yep. essentially 80s car, the Nimbus. Oh, yeah, yep. Now, then we moved on to the Skoda Kodiak RS because uh, Chesto and Mal were in the podcast last week. Chesto had uh, driven the car, so had Mal. So there was a bit of to and fro about that one. All positive, by the way. Both of them really enjoyed the car. And David Burt kicked off with a very lovely keep up the good work team. Thank you, David. But then he says the RS is far from RS, and that's Australian, um, you know, a colloquialism that Aussies will understand. He says it looks great, but his only concern is around the price, that it's sixty-five, nearly $66,000 before you've put it on the road. And he always thought Skoda was the the kind of thinking person's, I'm going to buy the function, not the badge, and it has all of that VW group tech, but you pay a lesser price. So he's thinking, what's the difference now? That's a very expensive Skoda, and you can probably get Volkswagen alternatives like a Tiguan 162R-Line um, for you know a little less money than that Skoda. So I think it's a fair question. I've always wondered about that because up until about five years ago, Skoda was the more affordable version of uh, previous generation Volkswagen. Um, but now I think the thinking might be is that people are buying Skodas in their own right so they can bring the price up. And I think that's, Maybe. that's true. Yeah, no, they're yeah. a good car. Mm. I've always liked the Skoda. I see Skoda buyers as the modern Saab buyers. Yeah. You know, that they're, they're after something European. They're after something mm. with really clever and innovative engineering. Uh, mm. But they don't want to go down the mainstream path. They'd like something that's a little bit left of centre. Yeah. Um, Although we've got we've got the cursed Skoda in our household, which is we've, it, we've had it for yeah. six months and it's already it's, had it's four It's essentially accidents. a crash a crash test vehicle. It's sponsored <laughs> by ANCAP, isn't it? The, I think the best cr- the best crash we've had in it so far was we weren't in the car at all, and it was when <laughs> um, my wife was waiting for her Uber out the front of our house, and the Uber driver appeared on the other side of the road. She's gone. I'm going that way, and he's like, "I'll oh, just turn round." <laughs> And he's done a U-turn and he's smashed in the side of her car. Into the car. Into the Skoda. <laughs> yeah. Well, look, that's David uh, Burt finishes off by saying that he's actually going to probably go for the Tiguan top model uh, due to the better resale. He says, as a salt and pepper nomad, a retiree in his late 50s, um, he's touring around. I'd say he's more of a grey fox, I reckon. I'm I bet sure he's, he's got a moustache. He's, he's a Clooney-style grey yes. hair anyway. Yeah. But Michael McLeaf... Uh, said, seriously, Skoda and Audi used in the same sentence? Um, and he's in Arizona, and he occasionally sees prototype cars getting around doing hot weather testing, I presume, in, oh, in Arizona. Send us um, pics. Send us pics. Yeah, yeah, that would be good. Mm, yeah, yeah. Um, and he says, you know, he saw the first one a few years ago because they're, they're all at the proving grounds around Arizona. Uh, it was behind a dirty white thing at a stoplight and thought, what the hell's a Yeti? Because it's not on sale in the American market. Um, he's researched the brand a bit, thought it was a cheap VW. It's the brand with the umbrella. Again, worthless in Arizona. It doesn't really rain there very much. <laughs> and an ice scraper, nah, doesn't, don't nah. need the ice scraper. Uh, but he does like the old ads and he put a link and I had a look at it. That's funny. Um, so we've got some of that vision up behind us. I think it was for an early Octavia. And yeah. there's a person being taken for a test drive by the obviously the dealer salesperson. And they're talking about it, he's liking it. And they say, well, he said, I'll pull into this lay-by and we can swap over and you can drive us back to the dealership. So they swap over. And as they swap, the guy who's, who's loving the car bolts through the bushes and across the, the, um, the <laughs> yes. little paddock next to it because he's scared that he's starting to like a Skoda. Yeah. <laughs> and they actually say, I think the positioning line is something like, you know, don't worry, you'll love it or, or whatever it is. But it is a very good ad. <laughs> the ads, look, even even today, the ads for Skoda are fantastic. Like if you haven't seen the Kodiak one, go onto YouTube and check that out. And the Karok one's really good as well. They're yeah. amazing. Well, Luke Holmes came in for his third comment and said that uh, he'd seen Audi and Skoda in the same thought. He must have been at a social gathering somewhere. And someone was saying that they had a, a Kodiak, but they were effectively driving a Q7. 
And he said the nerd in him wanted to uh, correct them and say, well, actually, it's a Q5. But um, he, he, kept his, he kept his lip uh, buttoned. I totally would have gone in and told them it was a Q5. <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have been able to resist. Yeah. Um, but anyway, good on you, Luke. Now, just under the heading of general commentary, we've got Wax333 um, from, from across Wax. the dish. Um, something I'd like to know or see is how car brands desi- decide which features or engines, etc., should be specified for vehicles for our markets, and that's Australia and New Zealand. More or less how they come to choose what we get on our vehicles. It seems a lot of the vehicles we get in Australia and New Zealand have more blank switches in our cars um, than before. He's noticing that, hmm, yeah, nothing, nothing says you're in a poverty model more than blanks <laughs> where the switches should go for, oh, for other equipment. Yep. That was my whole childhood, actually, because we, like, despite the key party, we were a fairly, you know, <laughs> um, poor family. So yeah. we, we, got, we got new cars, but they were always the base model. So ah. they were just my whole childhood is just yeah. blank panels wondering what might be there. Yeah. And did you, did you naively kind of point this out to your mother or father and they, they kind of felt the pain? As, what, what goes there, Dad? What, what no, I, goes there? I, I kind of felt their pain as well. So I ah. never, it, was never, it was never brought up. Right. It was never brought up. Well, it's <laughs> funny because you've got to say that typically Australia seems to have a slightly higher specification than a lot of other markets. Mm. Um, we're willing to pay a bit of a premium for a few more features, although it does get pretty cutthroat down at the entry part of, of the new car market. But yeah. it's, it's such an incredibly complex thing, product planning. If you mm. think about it too long, it just does your head in mm. um, as to predicting it. There's a lot of crystal ball in it. Um, there's some looking back, but then a lot about trying to guess what people are going to want informed by that. Um, so, look, I don't know. I'm not the expert in that area. It's just a very complicated uh, process, Waxy. Mm. Um, now, Luke Holmes came in with comment number four, and he said, are M4 and Mal related? Um, <laughs> since, since the Zoom sessions, I can't tell which one I'm listening to when listening to the audio. I had never thought in a million years that their voices would be mistaken for one another. No, no. I mean, I've never, I've never thought that they sound the same. I mean, as far as I know, they're not related. Um, They, they, they may have grown up in the same household. I don't, I don't know, but uh, I don't think they are blood related. And. We, maybe yeah, we, do we need to do a, a DNA test. A DNA test. Like yeah. I think we do. Uh, we need to get onto Ancestry or someone and do a, <laughs> do a DNA test and find out what's going on. Yeah. Yeah, we need to ask serious questions of their parents. I mean, you know. We, we oh, do. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, we'll get that sorted for the next podcast and we'll yeah. clear it up for, uh, for Luke. Both sets of parents might have been at one of Richard's dad's. <laughs> yeah. That would explain it. That would explain you know, it. You know. Now, final comment is Ted. Uh, who I like to call Big Ted, and that's a play school reference for uh, people <laughs> of a certain age or people mm. who have kids. He just Big says, Ted. loved it after last week's podcast. Loved oh. it. So oh, fantastic. Love it. Thank you very yeah. much, Ted. And yeah. that's a nice positive note on which to end the feedback. Thank you for all of it. Now, we're going to move on to our main subject of discussion, and this is some detective work that our own Andrew Chesto Chesterton has done, mm. and he's unearthed a few more clues around what looks to be upcoming in terms of a smaller Ford Ute. And by that, I mean sub-ranger-sized Ute. And there's so much uh, residual kind of love for cars like, uh, for, for small Utes um, in Australia, and I'm sure in other markets, Ford must be tapping into that. And he's gone to us an outlet called the Fast Lane Truck. Mm. And they have managed, uh, from uh, anonymous sources, to capture a CAD drawing of a tailgate for a thing that's called Maverick. So this could well be the focus-based ute that we've been uh, hearing and writing so much about uh, just of late. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's exciting, whatever it is. I mean, that, you've seen that drawing. It is, it is very basic. Um, it looks a yeah. bit like, <laughs> like a child scribbling. It but, looks um, like something I'd do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but you've got to be excited. I mean, any 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 of that sort of stuff, and it looks good. And they they do a good Ute. It must be yes. said, yeah. um, Ford. Um, the Maverick, as I understand it, was a sedan or something, wasn't it, from the sixties or seventies? I think it was a little. It was a compact. It was a compact. Was a, yeah. Also, okay. don't forget that it was a rebadged Nissan Patrol. 
Yes, um, it in was. Australia oh, in the yeah, late yeah. 1980s yeah, and wow. early 90s. Oh, there you go. Wow. The, yeah, um, the wonderful Ford Maverick of that era. And as we mentioned earlier, like the only other thing that I've seen of note, of substance about this thing is that um, supposed spy shot of it, uh, the dressed up. Uh, but, I mean, you can tell what's underneath. Looks good. It is a yes. compact, um, it is a compact uh, ute, a, a, yeah. a pickup truck. Um, yeah, as, as the Yanks call it, but um, because yeah. you, it'll be it'll be a Santa Cruz rival, so all of a sudden uh, you can just sense this little sub niche uh, emerging, yeah. probably Stop out it. of Cal- California mainly, mainly that wants that kind of lifestyle. Far from a hardcore vehicle, it's yeah. it's a Ute that informs your active lifestyle. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah absolutely. That's right. I think because in, in the United States, they've got the F-trucks, so you've got the F-150s and 250s <laughs> and 350s, and they go, they go stratospheric, and they get yeah. huge. Six, F-650, Julie. Yeah. Yeah. They're en- enormous, and they've also got the Ranger on sale, so like our, our Ranger Ute as well. Yep. Um, yep. But what, what is missing is something which is smaller, because uh, yes. even though our Ranger Ute is, is, is not big by American standards, it's still, no. as a daily driver in a family car, it might be, you know, Still a bit impractical, um, but like a Ford-focused-based Ute would, um, yeah, I mean, it, it wouldn't have the same sort of payload capacity or towing capacity, but no, it would be a good no. recreational Ute. Yeah. Um, well, if you if you had your F six fifty, you need something like a dinghy to hang off the back. You know, when you <laughs> yeah. when you burst the mothership, you need yeah. something nimble yeah. to get around town. Yeah. You know. Have you guys? I mean, we'll probably put a picture up now, but um, the the spy shots of a canopy-covered. Uh, yeah pickup now my yep. theory is is that the pickup is is a red herring it's not a pickup at all if you have a look at that canopy i reckon that canopy is real that's the shape of it that's the <laughs> shape of the it's vehicle actually it's going to be a panel van they're going to bring oh, back the panel van go. and it's going to have barn doors on the back yeah, that's my yeah. that's my that's my that's, theory um, that spy mm. shot though is is funny because it looks like one of those comedy movies where someone <laughs> Someone else's tent and the tent yes. stays on the Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shows yeah. You. Like, uh, yeah. But, uh, well, I, I mean, TGV will be happy that the panel van's coming back. Yeah. He will. He will. I reckon you're spot on, though, uh, JC. I reckon that that is a whole sort of barely tapped niche of the market. That lifestyle sort of ute. It'll, yeah. go, it'll go mental uh, in the US and here, I reckon. I reckon a lot I reckon. of people, well, in Australia, the Subaru Brumby was a, a little uh, ute that found yeah. huge favour with everyone from cow cockies to, to, you know, people in urban areas. The, the Proton, uh, I want to say Jumbuck, um, yeah. was, was also very popular. And this mm. thing will probably have the two-litre EcoBoost um, engine. Yeah. And I'm thinking, why not put the Mustang's two point, uh, what is it, 2.3-litre EcoBoost in it and mm. make a performance version. I reckon that would mm. be fantastic. <laughs> I've, got a, I've got something controversial for you. Yeah. It's not coming to Australia. What? what? It won't come to Australia. Okay, okay. and what's, what's I've the... Got, I've, uh, look, um, just I the don't phone think... Call? I don't think... Because we, we did a podcast on this uh, a couple of months ago on the Ford Focus-based Ute, and uh, I sent the, the, the blokes at Ford an email and just said, look, what do you think? And they were very, very, very guarded as to what they said and they sent a cryptid email saying saying look it might not measure up right oh. we're, we know mm. we're sort of determining whether something like this is going to be you know i i, I deduce from that that they're determining whether it's going to fit our market so it might they might ford australia might think it might be too small for us well, i think their guarded so, approach was nothing to do with the vehicle richard i think it was all about you <laughs> That's, well, that's they, just their standard operating procedure. I think you're right because I asked another question that was the same answer again. So yeah. it was nothing to do with the youth. They just, they said, just pull out the file that says yeah, Richard Berry. Yeah. Here's our reply with this is how you respond to this bloke. Right. It's really well, uh, about me. You, you mm. actually you asked them to meet you for a beer and they said no comment. <laughs> not coming yes. to this market. It's yeah. not coming to this market. <laughs> but, but funnily enough, in Chesto's story about this uh, very subject, mm. He said that in late 2019 um, in Detroit, Jim Farley, who's the vice president of marketing and sales for Ford globally, Mm. um, said we're investing in more affordable versions of our truck business. So there Mm. seemed little doubt that this is something that Ford is focusing on. And as a follow-up, 
Ford Australia has previously told us that it's studying the business case for a potential Australian launch. So it's interesting, Richard, that you got that um, uh, mm. feedback, but they actually pointed to mm. Mustang as proof that they're able to do a kind of niche model but yeah. actually make it very successful. So, you know, yeah. I think the chances are looking uh, pretty pretty good. Oh, I'd, like, I'd like to see it, definitely. Um, I mean, whether, I mean, like... Crafty, you're the you're the you're sort of off road Ute and Ute expert. Do you th- who's going to buy this? Like, who's what? You know, who who do you think is going to be market for this? It's going to appeal. Um, it and again, it's that lifestyle sort of thing. That active wear. That uh, you know whether mm. whether you whether you're pretending to go on grand adventures off road and stuff, or whether you actually do. It's yeah. like it's like Jeep owners, like like someone with a Wrangler or a Wrangler Rubicon. Very mm. capable vehicle, very, very able to, you know, throw yes. in all your gear, ski yes. gear, whatever, wakeboards, whatever. Mm. Um, some people use them for that sort of stuff. Maybe yeah. some people don't, but mm. they still look great and they're still, uh, they're still really easy to drive around. Uh, you, know, you know what I think of when you, when you make that uh, comment, Crafty, is when you're in a traffic jam and it's obvious that something pretty bad's happened up ahead and you're going to be stuck in traffic for some time. Mm. The first person to crack, you know, the first person to go, yeah. all right, I'm going to do the U-turn yeah. and, and go off, is invariably someone in a four-wheel drive. <laughs> and they go across yeah. the median street yeah. and you can yeah. just read their mind. They're yeah. saying, there you go. That's there why you, you have a four-wheel yeah. drive, right? Yeah. Oh, just, thank God we got this. Just paid yeah. for itself. I'm looking yeah. at the, I'm looking at these spy shots though and I'm looking at the ground clearance of this of this prototype or this mule or whatever it is um, that yeah. they're, they're, they've got photos of here. And it looks like it's got a ground clearance of about, you know, 150 mils. So right. I don't really, it's like probably, it's less than a Ford Escape. So yes. I just don't think that this is going to be any way off-road capable. It's possibly only going to be front-wheel drive. Um, mm. It could And just, that's it, cool. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. I mean, uh, we used to sort of semi-disparagingly refer to some things as soft roaders so mm. maybe that's yeah. the intent is that it just goes on formed gravel but, trials but and that's it doesn't it open I mean, up the the kind of broader discussion which is most car purchases unless it's for some very specific use has yeah. a large degree of emotion in it you know you are yeah, you are sure. choosing the car because you're emotionally yeah. um attaching yourself to it yeah, so it's sure. a bit how your suvs kicked off because People didn't want to buy wagons that said, oh, we're a daggy family, or they didn't want to buy necessarily people movers because that was a bit daggy too. Mm. We're going to get a four-wheel drive, and that'll say we've still got it. You know, we're out there. We're doing the camping. We're probably putting the boat on the back. Yeah. We are an active with it family. Yeah. And there's the, yeah. the same goes here, that, that it's a car that just says, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm but, still got it. I'm hip and happy, but, you know. I'm, but, but correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't the whole purpose of owning a ute being offensive and big and loud and obnoxious, <laughs> like all right. Well, you could that? buy your small Ute and just put like truck nuts on the tow bar or something. <laughs> seriously, seriously, I don't know. I reckon if, if anyone parked this in my neighbourhood, that arrived back and it'd be covered in eggs, eggs. right? Worse, wow. worse things. Yeah. Well, I mean, we could go on about your neighbourhood, Richard, but I. I <laughs> I think the vehicle itself would find yeah. a favour. To your question, yep. it's got to be for younger people that do oh, yeah. occasionally want to throw stuff in the back. It's an it's an alternative to you know a, a conventional van uh, that was true. built by Ford and Holden and, and whatever. Well, it's just to give you an indication, there's bars on my window just here. <laughs> that's that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's my neighbourhood. So and razor wire along, along are, the top of the fence. Yeah, you are still All right. you are still in minimum security, aren't you? I mean. Minimum. I'm allowed to go out at midday and just go for exercise. It's fine. Yeah, I'm allowed to go to the shops. I need to have a person walk behind me to make sure yeah. I don't leg it. With that, with that ankle uh, thing. <laughs> with the, yeah, it's a oh, he's, God. He's got a radius of about the chafing, twenty meters. The chafing on that's incredible. <laughs> All right. Well, that's you know that's the that's the Ford Maverick, uh, the baby Ute. It's exciting. Um, let's hope it comes to Australia. I reckon it'd be a success, as you say, Crafty. But we're going to move to cars in our garage here and now. And, Richard, you've been in something large with Very multiple large. seats, and it's yes. not the first time you've been there. No, no. So I have been driving a Toyota Grandia VX this week. Uh, 
It's big, it's black, but it doesn't have as many seats as the one I drove a couple of months ago. I drove the eight-seater a couple of months ago. We made a, 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 a pretty uh, different video where we, we, we drove around Sydney's streets and tried to get people to get into it and drive them to work, and, and it actually worked. So that's on YouTube if you want to see it as well. Which is, um, which is something you do regularly. It's just yeah. this time we videoed it. I do. I normally don't have a reason for it, but uh, I did this that's time. Right. Um, I drove the six-seater this time, and um, I wanted to see if it was going to be a little bit more practical because one of the issues that we had with the eight-seater is that that bench seat back row basically was your boot space. So if you had it filled up with eight people, you, you basically only had enough room for you know a carton of wheat bix in the back. So a six-seater does free up space. Um, what what sort of wheat bix though, Richard? There's there's a small there's like an economy box and then yeah. the, 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 the large one. Then you get down to your more. Oh, the family. I'm the family. Thirty three percent extra type. Yeah, but yeah, it's yeah. still it's still only that much room, really. Yeah. Um, I'm just trying to visualise, you know. Yeah. yeah. So because what I wanted to know was like, what you know what would be the function of this car? What would it be used for? And you know, I thought, well, maybe it's a very it's a high end car. Toyota are saying that it's a replacement for the Toyota Tarago, which it really isn't because it's it's not small enough to be a family car, really, and it's also not practical enough to be a family car either. Uh, so. What is it? It's an airport shuttle, but then it doesn't really cut the mustard as an airport shuttle either because with eight seats in it, there's no room for, you know, for luggage. Yes, you could have a trailer on the back of it, but, you know. Yeah, and, and no one's flying anywhere right now. No, that's exactly right. Um, I know where they've kept all the taxis too, by the way, but that's a different story. Oh, yeah. oh, wow. Anyway, so the no. six-seater, basically it's just been myself and my son who wanted to sit in the furthest seat possible, <laughs> right? That makes so, sense. My five-year-old son, I set up his car seat really far <laughs> down there, but um, that was diabolical because he kept like, it, it, as a parent, you just want you, you realize you really want your kid's arm reach away. Yeah. And at one point, what, to, to just give him a quick shaken, backhand, yeah, Richard, that's, it's twenty twenty. Yeah. Yeah. At one point, I'm sitting at the traffic lights. And he's just walked up beside me. <laughs> so he'd taken off his seatbelt and just wandered up. And I'm wow. sitting there at the lights wow. and I've gone, oh, I'm like, whoa, 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 right? So that's, that's an issue. Do not put your children in the back seat of an enormous van because they'll just wander about, right? So yeah. that was quickly, quickly uh, fixed that situation. Um, but look, one of the issues that I had with it as well is that uh, having driven a, a Mercedes V250 um, V-Class van as well, the, the packaging of those cars is just so clever. Um, and there's just no uh, sort of storage sort of capabilities like that with the Grand Via VX either. Yes, you do have more space because there's no bench seat at the back there. But at the same time, it's just this, kept this, this, you know, this space that things can roll around. Um, the V-Class has got storage crates and little nooks and crannies and opening and shutting boxes and stuff like that, which is really good. Um, one of the things I did like about the Grand Via VX, though, was uh, the way it drove. 2.8 litre diesel, 130 kilowatts, 450 newton metres. Um, it's, uh, it's the same 2.8 litre diesel, which is you know, famous yeah, for right. the diesel particular filter. It's got a burn-off switch. Um, but it's smooth, it's quiet, it's, it's, it's responsive. Um, and like most vans, they're really fun to drive. They've got really good turning circles because they can basically turn on, on, you know, on a dime. Um, mm. The visibility is great. I enjoyed it a lot. And the fuel economy that I got, I did a fuel test yesterday and I drove 100 kilometres, 100 kilometres and 900 metres. And um, the fuel results I got out of it were quite interesting. Um, they were a bit different to, to the eight-seater that I drove um, a couple of months ago. So... That review is coming out soon, and you'll, you'll you'll be able to read it there. What's the so, Richard? Is there a sliding door on both sides of that yes. of that vehicle? And what's is it two in the front? Yeah. And then where do you go from there? Like three, it's and two. then no. So it's 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 two two two. Right. Yeah. Okay. So um, and the two, and the four seats in the back are all at the captain's chairs, and they're uber oh, uber comfortable. Right. They fold back. They've got ottomans which come out. The headrests themselves, when you take them out, they're like super heavy. It's 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 an incredibly plush uh, people mover. Um, I think the type of people though that you're going to be moving are not children that can just get out of their seats. Um, okay. I think it's going to be um, you know executives. I think it's you're going to be moving people from airports to hotels and that type of stuff. And when when you stopped, 
can either or, or all of the seats rotate so you face one another or they're no. fixed in the straight ahead kind of They are fixed in the straight ahead position um, and they are on track. So what you can do, because uh, we uh, it was also used to, to pick up some flat pack uh, Take the middle ones uh, out. items as well. Yeah. Well, we can't. I was terrified of taking the seats out altogether and not mm. be able to get them back in again. But you can slide them all the way up. And then that opens up your, your storage space gotcha. quite dramatically. Um, Brilliant. But a really comfortable van, really long wheelbase, so the ride is, is absolutely supreme. It feels like a limo. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's really easy to steer. So I drove it I drove it basically from the centre of Sydney on George Street all the way to Campbelltown to get motorways and traffic sort yep. of as well. And it, in the city, it was just absolutely a breeze to drive and on the highway at 110 it just cruised along perfectly but it's but a really the, good van the question remains mm. where it finds favor Who, who's going to choose it it may do it may do things nicely but its purpose seems a little bit gray you know who's exactly it's not a family it's not a family car um mm. it's the, the 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 quality interior is actually too too nice for a family like those you'll see in the images those cream seats are going to get. There was I, when I handed it back. There was already a mark on it that I was a bit dubious about. Like, what is right. that? Um, right. So, right. well, we won't going, go into that. We're not going to go there. It was on my seat. I've got to admit, but um, it was, <laughs> <laughs> um but it's definitely not. It's look. It's going to be uh, look. It's going to be rivaling, you know, a V two fifty D and that type of thing as a you know an executive you know people mover. Really, yeah. I think. All right. Mm. Brilliant. Yeah. Well, hmm. speaking of, you know, moving people in an executive style, uh, Crafty, you've been in a very high-end vehicle, but it's not meant for the road. Tell us tell us what you've been driving. Um, it's, uh, it, well, it was a Lexus. Well, it still is a Lexus. Well, it was a Lexus. Lexus. <laughs> <laughs> is but it like, is it like Richard's cursed something. Skoda? <laughs> a Lexus LX570. Uh, um, now, well, you know me, I don't... I don't really get the keys to to posho things often. Um, I don't know. I don't think I'm trusted. Uh, no, it's not that. It's just because I spend most of my time in things that you guys wouldn't even turn your nose up at, like utes and stuff. What? Like your house? That's it. Yeah, yeah. Well, the minimum security <laughs> prison behind Richard. That's right. <laughs> anyway, so this thing, um, it's it's more than 160 grand, and it it's got everything in it. Um, and it's unreal. Ride and handling is nice for such a big unit. It's a little over five metres long. Um, so it looks really good. Like it's a, it's a blinged out sort of, you know, massive blinged out SUV. But the thing is, I reckon a lot of people forget and they don't buy them for four-wheel driving, you know, effectively, I'm sure. They buy them to move their mobs around and, and look good and whatever else. But I took it on some very sort of severe stuff a few things i had to reverse out of because it was quite i was just concerned about uh sustaining some damage and i didn't mm. want to obviously uh yeah. not unless jc's uh you know wage I, th I thought you were more concerned about the people that you discovered in the road that you went down and just had to select <laughs> reverse and get out of there exactly. yeah that too that too mm. but um but very capable I mean, it's 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 essentially a, a Land Cruiser, two hundred series Land Cruiser, un underneath. I mean, if you if you get down to the to the nuts and bolts of it, very capable off road. Um, you've got air suspension as well. All those sort of little bits and pieces. Uh, some people might think of it as a little bit of frippery, but um, it all comes in handy um, to help you out. Uh, it did have the big wheels though. That's those things are the only sort of real chink in the armor, like having big big rims, big 29-inch right. low-profile tyres, road-biased tyres. They're, they're no help. So a couple of times on, on things that I'd, I'd otherwise get over, um, I had to reverse out. And so, but the the tyres and, and the wheels are the uh, yes. only real weakness. And, and the dimensions, like you've got to drive to suit the dimensions. Um, mm. and, uh, but otherwise, yeah, great It's surprising, fun. though, you know. I had a fellow come up and put me in a headlock one time and uh, tell me <laughs> that he bought a G63 Merc AMG because, partly because he'd seen my review of the car. Yeah. Wow. And he, he was on a property somewhere in western or mid-New mid South Wales and he used it occasionally 
pretty in pretty hard off-road circumstances, yeah. Yeah, yeah. which was a surprise. So it does happen occasionally, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that, that was what I was going to ask. Like, how often is an LX570 used in the same way that a Land Cruiser would be? Like, you don't really, you don't ever see them, yeah. in, you know, on the yeah. Udenadetta track, do you? Turak, uh, exactly. Turak tractor, yeah. And there's, yeah. A, and there's a little spot just near my place um, in the bush, and the only vehicles I've ever seen there have been modified vehicles. So, yeah. Uh, heavily modified Rubicon. Um, while I was wow. there, there was a heavily modified Hilux um, and a Patrol. Um, and, uh, by, and by yeah, heavily modified, thing. by heavily modified crafty, do you mean the wheels were missing? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, and they were burnt yeah. out. I mean, yeah. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yes, that's very modified. <laughs> All right. Well, that, that's that's interesting. I suppose it's one of those things where you know that the underpinnings have have got the capability. Yeah. Whether you're going to use it on a regular basis um, is the yeah. question, but it but it's there. Yeah, and otherwise that thing is is really nice to drive. I mean, the assumption would be, and it'd be fair enough that it'd feel like a bit of a tank and whatever else and wallow around. But uh, it's 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 pretty well reined in, and I enjoyed it. Fantastic. All right. Well, I'll I'll quickly uh, jump in with the car that I was in, which was another Lexus, but this time it's the LS. So it's the sedan the, the kind of flagship uh, sedan the ls500 and strangely the f sport so this is a big car with the f sport package to make it um kind of a performance have a, have a slight performance edge to its personality now it's about 190 odd thousand dollars so by the time it's it's on the road it's sailed over two hundred thousand dollars it's a three and a half liter twin turbo v6 um, with a 10 speed auto and talk about loaded, it's got all the fruit in the greengrocer shop. You know, it's just got all of the uh, equipment that you could ever dream of. About 310 kilowatts, which is plenty, and 600 newton metres of torque. And it, it, yeah, it just is liftoff time if you really want to push that car along. And in the plus column, I had that, that torque and acceleration is really, um, it's tempting. Every time you, you want to kind of sink your right foot into that, it is yeah. very tempting. But the ride is amazing. The ride is just so incredibly good. It soaks up everything from those tiny little high-frequency bumps to the larger kind of dips and, and potholes and things incredibly well. It exudes high quality. I mean, Lexus obviously makes its reputation on putting things together well and designing them well in the first place. So it's got all that and just oodles of room inside the car. It's a limo, really. So mm. in the back particularly, you've just got so much space one little thing I like is that Lexus has this two-way storage box between the front seats. So there's a release on both sides of the lid of that sort of armrest box. Yeah, yeah. So you can open it and the passenger can open it. Rather than it tilting backwards, it just yeah. opens whichever side you like. I think it's genius. Why doesn't everybody do it? It's just if, the best way JC, to do it. JC, if, if the passenger and you at the same time released it, does the whole lid come off? The car comes. The car starts to fall apart the moment you do that. You've actually you've started a domino chain reaction yeah. effect that could end anywhere. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The thing is, I, it's two point two four tons, so it is a it is Whoa. a heavy vehicle, yeah. and you do feel that when you're driving it. You know that you're in a, a pretty big beast. Yeah. And ironically, given it's got so much legroom in the back, the tow room under the front seats is really limited. So you find yourself thinking oh yeah i've got plenty of legroom but i'd love to put my feet just a bit further forward which yeah. is a little bit odd and of course the most hateful thing about most lexuses these days is the remote touch interface that, oh. that pad that you access the media system and various other things with it is such a failure and Lexus should oh, really the, suck it up and get rid of it. It's, so it's that terrible. That weird, the weird toggle thing, because I had problems with that in the LX570 as well. Not so much I, a toggle. It's a, it's a weird square sort of, mat yeah. with a, with, you, you know, you use it like a, a finger pad on a, on a laptop. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it, it's overreactive. You yeah. can adjust the settings, but no matter what settings you put in there, it is just so very ordinary. One yeah. of the ways that Lexus has sort of tried to get around that issue is by making that screen a uh, touchscreen now as well. But yeah. I find that it's so far away. Yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. You have to lean forward, like, because a Lexus right. dash is elaborate and it's all built in and deep. To try and yeah. reach that screen, you've got to have arms like, you know. Or a little baton or something or some yeah. little a gadget, a drumstick yeah. just to touch it with. Yeah. <laughs> 
But anyway, so like a chicken drumstick. <laughs> but look, it, on the face of it, it does seem counterintuitive that you've got this big, you know, 2.2-ton limo mm. that you put F-Sport on and try and mm. – uh, but it is enjoyable to drive and it's incredibly comfortable. It, it yeah. just uh, helps you relax. It's a very relaxing drive. But if you do start to push it along, it, respond, it responds pretty well. You just know that you're in a, a fairly hefty car, you know, yeah. the dynamics are such. But, uh, yeah, enjoyable nonetheless. Um, and, look, speaking of enjoyable, it's time for Musquatch. Musquatch. We're going to to start off the big news of the week with Elon Musk and his significant other, Grimes, a pop artist, is that um, they have welcomed a baby boy, which according to reports, and I don't know whether it's six or seven, but this is Elon Musk's either sixth or seventh son um, that, that he has been the father of. And they've named it. The name for this little boy, sadly, is XI. A dash twelve Musk, right? Yeah. So I'm going to pronounce that Xi A twelve Musk, and Grimes on social media explained this name and said that X is just X; it's the unknown variable. So they they don't know what's coming. The A E kind of jammed together yeah, yeah. is her elven spelling of A I or I, which resembles the Chinese word for love, and of course artificial intelligence so the a12 is named after the lockheed a12 which was a high speed cold war high altitude um, observation aircraft the archangel right it's a precursor to the sr-71 the one that everyone knows the blackbird Mm. and so it's capable it was capable of mach 3.1 so a bit over three point uh, three times the speed of sound Mm. it could go at eighty-five thousand feet and so Grimes said on social media, that's her favourite aircraft. No weapons, no defences, just speed. So, and it was part of, you're right, Richard, it was part of this project called Archangel, um, mm. and that was the internal code name. And mm. Grimes' favourite album is called Archangel, so apparently there's a bit of alignment there as well. So just very weird. They are and the biggest nerds, aren't they? Cyberbunny <laughs> on, on Twitter, Cyberbunny 16-bit TRK, came back with, don't worry, you know, we won't tell anyone. And we've got the meme playing behind us for those on YouTube. And it's the baby in the little casket and someone peeling its face off and there is, in fact, an alien behind that that face. Um, But Lad Bible says that California law will prevent them from actually going forward with this name uh, because it features things outside the alphabet. That California law says you can only use the 26 characters of the English language. So what? no Roman did... numerals, no accents, umlauts, or other symbols or emojis. Well, how did Prince change his name to a symbol then? Well, I'm sure he wasn't in California. Yeah, no. Um, so, so anyway, it'll be interesting to see if they get away with it. I just have... know he'll cop hell in roll call. Have you seen that latest photo? I saw it this morning. It's Friday morning at the moment. Um, but uh, Elon Musk holding the baby, and it's wearing a little SpaceX visor over its head. <laughs> I don't know I, whether it's... I really... I I'm hoping it's sorry. photoshopped because boy. you can see the baby's yeah. face through it, but I don't think it is photoshopped. Knowing Elon, I think he's actually put this little helmet on the baby. Um, anyway. Yeah, unless they have him homeschooled, I think he's in for a hard time <laughs> when he gets to school for all kinds of reasons. Anyway, <sighs> yes. Elon also retweeted the always hilarious may the fourth be with you hashtag um, that came from SpaceX this time around. And they posted a picture of a rocket exhaust trail from a liftoff looking like a lightsaber, okay? So there's all that nerdiness going on. But I noticed his retweet was actually on May the 5th, so he missed it by a day, you know? <laughs> um, he was probably in hospital where you do lose track of time when, yeah. you know, these babies are arriving, as, as uh, I think all of us know. Yeah. Um, but the nerds came out in force in response mm. to this whole thing. You had Spock, you know... Uh, live long and prosper and all that stuff, Mm. Um, dancing stormtroopers, baby Yoda. But then a link to the SpaceX Flickr page, and the pics there are amazing. You should actually have a look at their images. It's really close-up shots of rocket motors lighting up at the point of liftoff, incredible imagery. 
I would wow. recommend that people go to SpaceX's Flickr page and have a look. Wow. We've got some of them up in the background for people on YouTube. Unbelievable. Another tweet to finish on, he said, wishing good vibes for all in second half 2020. All right, obviously referring to difficult times in the first part of this year. And several people commented and said, so you've given up on the first half already, you know? We haven't, <laughs> even, finished, we haven't even finished the first half yet. But Regina P said, 2020 in one sentence, a roll of toilet paper is worth more than a barrel of oil. And in, yeah. in response to that, Boris said, soon more than Tesla stocks too, oh. and which I thought was a bit cheeky. But it does lead us to the share price, which is $780. Um, so it was $781 last week. So it stayed pretty much static on the face of it. But actually, just after we finished the podcast last week, Elon tweeted, I'm selling almost all physical possessions. I will own no house. Just one stipulation on sale. I own Gene Wilder's old house. Yes. It cannot be torn down or lose any of its soul, right? So he's selling everything off. But then he tweeted, Tesla's stock price is too high, in my opinion. And the stock immediately fell 10%. <laughs> and you, you might remember that he actually had a set to with the Securities and Exchange Commission when he tweeted taking the company private at $480 a share. Mm. And they instituted this system. He, he copped a big fine and a massive rap over the knuckles. And they instituted this fine where his tweets had to be vetted before he sent them so that any that might have an impact on the stock price for the company would, would be managed in that way. Mm. So he, he's clearly not having these tweets vetted. <laughs> I think it's going to cause him a problem. Um, and he, the Wall Street Journal actually asked him if he was joking about, you know, it being too high as an opinion. And he came back by email saying no. So he had gone out there and they also asked him if it had been vetted and he said no. So I think he could be in trouble again. He cannot help himself with this Twitter thing. Yeah. Um, yeah I mean, it's almost, a, it's almost like a Trump uh, situation as well, isn't it? Like they're, put down the, the phone. Put yeah. down yeah. the phone. Yeah. Yeah. But... but the, the most recent results, it's now been a six-month and 30-day market cap exceeding $100 billion. So he's picked up $700 million worth of shares at the current price. This is the first tranche of a $55 billion compensation package. So that's what he had to do to get to base camp was six-month, 30-day market cap in excess of $100 billion. So he just scored $700 million worth of shares. Right. Wow. Un unbelievable. Just... <laughs> astronomical kind of money for um anyway now that i think marks the point at which we have reached the finish line and i want to say thank you richard thank you thank you and thank you thank you crafty no thank you and thanks to our digital dissemination officer mr pritchard for his cool calm and collected production wizardry today he's in his phew all this being such a legend is quite tiring t-shirt Detachable, <laughs> detachable jeans and cowboy boot sandals. Um, wow. Arresting, a very arresting look. Please yeah. pass on the word about the podcast and let us know your thoughts by searching for Cars Guide on Facebook and Instagram using the hashtag CGPodcast or email us at comments at carsguide.com.au. Feel free to do that. Oh, yeah. If you're an iTunes listener, please rate and review us and remember you can watch us on YouTube. But before we go, cleaned out the garage with one of the kids the other day. Took hours to get the cobwebs out of his hair. <laughs> <laughs> that was quite good. Yeah, like well, there you go. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, in fact, is, it's true. Good <laughs> 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 There you go.